My name is Al, and I'll be giving the message for all of us today. And uh, we are in this series, um, uh, kind of exploring our habits during uh, this time of quarantine. Like, um, and and it's inspired by this book called Common Habits that uh, Albert actually introduced us to. And um, I started reading it a, a couple of days ago, and it's been actually like really interesting. And I actually was curious about who the author of this book was. And so uh, I actually looked him up on YouTube to see if uh, he had any interesting talks on YouTube. And he did, okay? And the author's name, his name is uh, James Early. And uh, he used to be a, a missionary before. And now he's uh, working as a lawyer, right? And so uh, I, I found that kind of juxtaposition really interesting. Um, but in the talk that he gave in uh, the YouTube clip that I saw, uh, he mentioned this uh, painting from Vincent van Gogh. I'm sure it's a painting that most of us have seen before. It's called Starry Night. And um, it should be pulling up on the screen. Um, I'll just trust that it is pulling up on the screen. And um, this is probably van Gogh's most famous painting, Starry Night. And I'm not sure how familiar you are uh, all with the background of this painting, but it was painted... Uh, in 1889, while Vincent van Gogh was staying at a mental asylum in a hospital near Saint-Rémy-de-Provence in France. Now, this village uh, has some houses and rolling hills that blend in with the night sky, um, as you can see. Uh, but really, it's the cosmos of this painting that takes center stage in this dark and ominous uh, artwork. But the author of Common Habits, James Early, he pointed out something to me in this painting that I had never noticed before. If you look at the painting, uh, there is a, a church in the middle of the village um, on, the, on the ground level um, that has no light coming from it. But if you look at the houses surrounding it, a lot of the houses, little houses like surrounding that church has light, right? Some of the lights are on, seemingly full of life. But the church at the center of the painting, uh, which is the biggest building in the village, right? Um, that has no light coming from it. Now, uh, some people speculate that this might have to do with um, Vincent van Gogh's uh, past because uh, I, I don't know how many are, are familiar with this, but uh, van Gogh was a son of a minister uh, and even his grandfather was a minister. And so he kind of comes from this like family of ministers and uh, naturally, Vincent van Gogh um, tried that route, but he failed, okay? Um, he probably uh, had a hard time being a minister because of maybe a lot of his, like, mental condition. Um, and so he uh, ended up finding his true calling, which was to be an artist. Uh, but, and so some people speculate, like, that the light in the church being off represented, you know, that kind of, like, failed previous career that he had. Um, but I kind of took it very personally. Um, and as I was looking at this painting and as I was like reflecting on it, I think in many ways, the church in Starry Night in this painting kind of represented what my spiritual life used to look like. I was a pastor. Uh, I've been a pastor now for uh, quite some time, for like 17 years now. Um, and, uh, you know, when most people think of me or, you know, when they relate with me, that might be one of the first things that they think of, like, oh, Al, he's, he's a pastor, right? Yeah, he, he serves in the church. Um, and, you know, that's what I look like from the outside. But internally, 
I think my spiritual life was really lacking. And I think a lot of that had to do with my lack of prayer or maybe even my misunderstanding of prayer. It's almost like uh, on the outside, I had this very religious facade, but internally I was lacking that uh, light of life that um, I so desperately desired, but didn't even realize I was missing. I've been kind of reflecting on kind of uh, deeper questions like this during this time of quarantine, as most of us are uh, social distancing and, um, and quarantined in our homes. And I've been really wrestling with these questions of like, how is God changing me? And how is God pruning me during this time of quarantine? Maybe that's a question that you've thought about. If not, I challenge you to think about it. How is God changing you or pruning you during this time of quarantine? And a lot of the ways that people are changed and tr transformed over the years is not through dramatic life circumstances. While certainly that can be the case, but really the primary agent that people change over years and years is through daily mundane everyday habits, things like waking up uh, early in the morning and, and what's the first thing that you do in the morning? You know, uh, things like uh, the people that you talk to on a regular basis, right? Very, these very like mundane, seemingly innocuous habits that we have. Uh, these are the things that shape us the most. Which brings us to today's passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First uh, Thessalonians uh, is a letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the city called Thessalonica. Now, Paul planted this church. He started this church in Thessalonica with uh, several of his like co-servants and disciples, Silas and Timothy. Now, the beginning stages of this church in the city of Thessalonica was quite dramatic. All right. And it, it, we could read about it in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. And I'll just read it for us real quick. When they, which is Paul and his comrades, when they had passed through uh, uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, Paul said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing uh, God Jews and Greeks and prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting, these men and women have caused trouble all over the world, uh, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into their house. They are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And so this was the beginning stages of uh, the church in Thessalonica. It was very tumultuous and very dramatic, right? And from the very beginning, uh, there's this sense of urgency that kind of permeated 
in the church in the city of Thessalonica, all right? And if you look through the book of First Thessalonians, at the end of literally every chapter in the book of First Thessalonians, there is some mention of the end times or the apocalypse or Jesus' second coming. If you look at the end of chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, and chapter five, at the end of every chapter, uh, there is a mention of the end times, the apocalypse, or Jesus' second coming. Some might think that, oh, you know, live with, uh, Paul is saying live with a sense of urgency, but I think it goes even further than that. I think what Paul is saying is this is not our home. Earth is not our home. Our home is in, is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And so a lot of the letter in 1 Thessalonians is, encour is Paul encouraging the believers in the city of Thessalonica to act as if they are citizens of heaven, to live in such a way that reflects that they are citizens of another world, right? Not citizens of here, right? And that brings us precisely to today's passage, right? And it begins in verse 16 by saying, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And these are just three simple characteristics of what citizens of heaven look like. They are always rejoicing. They are filled with joy. And I'm not talking about like um, those weird people that you might know who are like happy all the time and kind of crazy, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about joy, okay? This internal sense of peace and fulfillment and satisfaction that uh, can only come from Christ, okay? Even if you're not happy, you're still full of joy, okay? This is one of the markers of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And another marker uh, is someone who prays continually, right? And then, uh, you know, that's what this message is all about, all right? Verse 17, those two words, pray continually, all right? And we'll come back to that. But the other characteristics is someone who is a citizen of heaven is someone who is grateful, who give thanks in all circumstances. Someone who is a citizen of heaven is grateful. And even if you are social distancing and you're quarantined and you know, you're, if you're anything like me, you're uh, an extrovert who is trapped indoors, which is like a nightmare for extroverts like me, um, I, I still uh, have to find ways to give thanks in all circumstances. That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Now, uh, coming back to verse 17, which is really those two simple words uh, is really, really profound, okay? And that's kind of like what we're going to be focusing on today, right? Other versions of verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Uh, and another version says, uh, similarly, pray unceasingly, right? Now, I've heard different sermons based on this passage, okay? And I heard one um, pastor say, I hope he's not listening to this, but good chances are he might be. <laughs> because we still keep in touch. Uh, I heard one pastor say that it says uh, pray intermittently, but that's not what it says, right? If you look at the original word, it literally means pray without stopping, right? Pray unceasingly, literally never stop praying, right? What does that mean, right? If you, liter if you take this literally, uh, we either have to stop everything that we're doing and just like, you know, get on our hands and knees and just go like this all day long, which, you know, it doesn't make sense, right? Or, or do we have to change 
our definition of prayer? Do we have to change our understanding of prayer? Maybe you've been taught at a young age what prayer was, right? That you have to close your eyes and you have to put your hands together and you, you, know, you have to say uh, you know, uh, a, a certain formal language, right? No, but if, if we're literally, if we're taking this verse seriously, what does this mean? Okay. What, what I actually think Paul is saying here in this passage and what God is teaching us through the words of Paul is that prayer is like breathing. Okay. Prayer is like breathing. Okay. How is prayer like breathing? Well, we, we breathe all the time, right? We breathe because we need air to survive, to live. It is our, uh, it is our sustenance of life, right? And we even, we even breathe unconsciously, right? We even breathe in our sleep, right? We are, we are breathing all the time. And, uh, but sometimes, sometimes we breathe very, very intentionally, right? Like maybe when um, after a, a really hard workout, you're like gasping for air, right? Um, other times, uh, like for me, when I'm um, meditating, okay, um, this app that I use, it, it always starts off by saying, focus on your breath. Take a deep breath in, blow out through your mouth. Right? There are times when we are breathing where we don't even think about it, right? Our body just does it automatically. But there are other times where we have to breathe very, very intentionally. I think a perfect example of this is uh, yoga. Uh, a few months ago, I um, really started getting into yoga. I, I, I always used to make fun of people who did yoga, especially men. I always make fun of men who did yoga. I always imagine those guys in like super short shorts, taking their shirts off and like, you know, um, getting all like hot and sweaty. Uh, now I've become that guy. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I just love yoga. And there's a lot of things that yoga taught me about prayer. Okay. Um, there are certain poses, especially that really get me in that mental state of prayer. Okay. It, it, for example, one of the most common ways that a lot of yoga practices start is with a child's pose, which is you're kneeling and your head is, uh, your forehead is on the mat and you stretch out your arms like in front of you like this, right? That's called a child's pose. And it really is this like form of prostrating yourself in prayer. Another common form that uh, a lot of yoga uh, uh, exercises have is uh, heart center, which, uh, you know, you put your hands together like this. You've probably seen it a lot, right? And you put it at your heart center. This is literally, this literally looks like prayer, right? And then um, the way that a lot of, or most yoga practices end is uh, they go like this, right? And they go namaste, right? And, um, you know, I used to think that like yoga was such a pagan <laughs> exercise that like, oh, Christians are not allowed to do it. <laughs> but, uh, Namaste, um, it, it literally means the light in me greets the light in you, okay? And this is kind of like a westernized, modern translation of uh, this word, but the literal word namaste means the divine in me greets the divine in you, right? And we're taught that everyone is created in the image of God, right? Everyone is created in the image of God. And when we think about that, 
uh, when you know when God created the universe, you know He 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 created them with His Word, right? And um, and everything that He made was good, but with humanity, with man and women, He did something very special. He breathed into them. He breathed into them. The word for breath in Hebrew is is also this uh, similar definition in Greek which means breath, wind, or spirit. Breath, wind, or spirit. And prayer, if prayer is like breathing, it's almost as if we are connecting to the spirit of God, consciously and unconsciously. This um book that we've been reading together, um, Common Habits, uh, it's been really challenging me. Um, like, the, like what I've been doing during my downtime. I don't know about you, but whenever I have downtime, uh, which is pretty often these days, uh, the, the kind of like knee-jerk reaction that I have is to like check my phone. I, I don't know if, if that's the case with uh, you guys, but like, like one thing that I've been avoiding is like uh, checking my screen time, like how often, how much I'm on my screen uh, every week, which is, I don't wanna look at it cause I know it's just like through the roof, okay? Um, but yeah, during my like downtime, like I, I'm pulling out my phone a lot. It's almost like uh, I'm bored. So I just pull out my phone, right? Uh, <laughs> and I hate to admit this, but like a lot of my downtime, like when I get bored is when I'm like hanging out with my kids. Hanging out with my kids is so boring. It's like so boring. No one told me how boring parenting is. So anyways, <laughs> so like, that's like just my like knee jerk reaction. And, and um, I, I, don't, I don't think that's really healthy. I don't think that's really healthy. I wonder what my life would look like though, if instead of like, you know, that knee jerk reaction to pull out my phone uh, whenever I'm, I'm bored or whenever I have downtime, Instead of doing that, I wonder what it's like, like to, uh, to just go to God, just turn to God in prayer intentionally during downtimes. You know, what would my spiritual life look like if I go to God every time I have like some downtime intentionally? Because, you know, whenever I look at my phone, um, you know, I'm, I'm reading my email, right? And when I read my email, I'm reminded of all the things I have to do. Whenever I look at my phone, I, I might pull up social media, right? And I'm reminded of all the ways that my life is lacking when I look at the wonderful lives that these other people have. <laughs> right? Whenever I look at my phone, I'm reminded of like all the people I have to call back or all the people I have to like communicate with. Our phones remind us how we're lacking and all the things that we need to do. But prayer, on the other hand, prayer reminds us who we are. Our phones remind us all the things that we need to do, but prayer reminds us who we are. Jesus gave this uh, beautiful metaphor in terms of our relationship with God in John chapter 15. John 15 teaches us this idea that in order to have a healthy spiritual life, we must remain connected to God. We must remain connected to God. God is the source of life. 
He is the one who reminds us who we are, right? Uh, and and he, instead of what we need to do, because Jesus did all that was required to do in order for us to have a healthy relationship with God. So when God is inviting us to prayer, he is inviting us to remember our identity in Christ. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you remain in me and I remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A friend of mine and I were uh, talking about this verse and he mentioned um, how you know, his prayer life was uh, somewhat lacking. And um, he thinks his desires from God is different uh, because uh, he doesn't feel connected to God. And he was you know, candidly sharing this. And he realized, you know, as we were talking about this verse, um, if you remain in me and I remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I think a lot of times we focus on the second half of that verse, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But you really have to meditate on that first part of that verse. If you remain in me and I remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, if we remain connected to God, like intimately, God begins to change the desires of our hearts and the things that we want align with the things that God wants. If we don't remain connected to God and we, all we focus on is uh, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, then, you know, then we don't care what God wants, right? I wasn't sure if I was going to... Um, uh, share this uh, with you, but uh, I think it's very, very appropriate given the season that we're in in our lives right now. Um, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my life is this movie called The Shining. All right. Do you, have you guys uh, seen that movie? Oh my God, it is so scary. And um, I think it would be even more freaky now than ever before because it's a story about this uh, family of three, okay? Um, Jack Nicholson plays the dad, okay, and, and he's kind of like the, the main villain in this um, movie. Oh, I, I just gave the movie away, okay? He's, yeah, so he kind of turns into a bad guy. Uh, but, you know, he uh, is uh, a struggling writer, um, but, but he's given this job of taking care of this, like, creepy hotel in the winter because uh, winter is a slow season for the hotel. And so um, they're isolated in this hotel, all winter long, they're, they're quarantined in this hotel all winter long, right? And over like weeks and weeks and weeks of just being uh, trapped in this creepy hotel, uh, the dad starts going crazy, okay? And, uh, you know, throughout the day, he's, he's uh, you know, he locks himself in his room and he's like typing away on his typewriter, like writing uh, whatever it is he's writing, right? And his wife, um, I think her name was Wendy, uh, she comes into his room and sees... Uh, this like uh, piles of paper, okay? Like piles of paper, right? And he just has the same sentence written over and over and over again, right? And it says, uh, uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, right? And he writes this over and over and over again, okay? Um, and it's really, really creepy, right? It's super creepy. But I, I kind of wondered like, what, what would it looked like if we just changed one letter in that sentence. All work and no prey makes Jack 
what? All work and no pray makes Jack what? In the gospel, according to Luke, there's this beautiful story of Jesus um, being welcomed into the house of two sisters, Martha and Mary. And, uh, you know, Martha is the older sister and she's the dutiful uh, older sister, responsible one, right? And uh, as soon as Jesus comes into um, their house, like with his disciples, right, she is in the kitchen, she's busy getting things ready, right? And like wants to, uh, you know, be a good host. But Mary, on the other hand, she is just sitting with Jesus, just talking to him, right? And just like doing nothing, right? And just like hanging out with Jesus, right? While Martha is busy, busy getting things ready in the other room. And uh, after some time, Martha gets really upset, right? And she gets annoyed of her like little sister, Mary, right? And she comes into the room and she tells Jesus, Jesus, tell Mary to help me in the kitchen, right? And um, Jesus responds really interestingly. Jesus replied, Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, kind of in a loving way. Jesus replied, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. I wonder how many of us really need to hear that from God during this time. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And that is just connecting with God. When I was a child, um, you know, I grew up in church uh, and I grew up in Sunday school. I was taught by my children's pastor and my Sunday school teachers that prayer is talking to God. And as well-intentioned as that definition may be, it's uh, a little misleading, right? Because when we think about like talking to God, we don't really focus so much on the listening part, right? It's, it's talking to God. And it really leaves out that really critical part of listening to him. You know, and I realized like prayer is not simply talking to God. Prayer is dialoguing with God. Prayer is dialoguing with God. Talking to God implies that it is only a one-way conversation. We talk, God listens. But dialoguing with God, there's space, there are pauses, and there's silence in prayers that really allow God to speak to us. On um, Monday mornings uh, tend to be my um, time of Sabbath where I try to connect with God. And I 
uh, started this a few months ago, um, maybe, or actually maybe like a year ago now, uh, where I, on Monday morning, I would either go to Huntington Library, which is near where I live. Um, and they have this like beautiful garden where I could just walk around for hours and hours. And as I'm walking, I'm praying, I'm connecting with God. Or I would go to this place called Pi Hop, Pasadena International, International House of Prayer, which is like a prayer room open from like 8 a.m. to midnight every day, Monday through Saturday. Uh, and when I first used to do this, uh, I used to go to these places with like this long list of prayer requests on Monday mornings. And I would go through that list of prayer requests and uh, I would just leave feeling like tired <laughs> and, um, and just weary and feeling like I, 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 like I worked. Right, I had this like prayer request. Uh, like I, I would literally go with like my notebook and like with stuff written down, and I would go through the list and I would just pray for all of these different things. And I was just tired. I was like, man, I I, I don't want to keep doing it this way, right? And so, uh, I decided to not have any like prayer requests, right? And then I just went to either this prayer room or to the gardens and I would just like walk around and pray or I'll just like sit there and pray with no prayer requests. And at first it was really, really weird. Like I felt so naked, like, <laughs> like uh, I, I felt like uh, so unprepared. And, but after some time, um, these like wonderful conversations between me and God started to just flow out. I would say some things and I would listen to God and God would tell me some things and uh, I would share with God some of the worries that I have, some of the struggles that I'm going through, some of the things I'm grateful for. And uh, God would you know, share some other like beautiful words with me. And I realized that is what real prayer is. Not that, you know, just going through a list of prayer requests is bad. Okay. But like, um, just real rich, conversational, relational, intimate prayer with God actually don't have any kind of requests. Yes, sometimes those like requests would just kind of flow out in my conversations with God. But like when I came before God with no formal requests, that is really when those like intimate prayers with God really started to flow. In many ways, um, I think that prayers without requests are the most relational prayers. Prayers without like requests are the most relational prayers. These are the prayers that God loves because we're going to him without wanting anything from him, right? We're not just simply going to him as a, like a vending machine or like a magic genie. <laughs> right? Uh, we're going to him simply because we want to be in God's presence and simply because we want to connect with him. In the Old Testament, uh, the and you know, uh, I, I mentioned the Old Testament because uh, a lot of the Christians in the city of Thessalonica that Paul was writing to, Apostle Paul was writing to, uh, were former Jews who became followers of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the prayers that pleased the heart of God were prayers that were from the heart. These prayers didn't have to be eloquent or formal or even proper, right? 
the most important thing that these uh, prayers had to be is that they had to be genuine. On the other hand, uh, prayers uh, that pagans would pray to their idols or to pagan gods like uh, Baal, okay, uh, they had to be scripted um, and they had like special techniques and like, like formal presentations that they had to present to their gods, right? And if they were um, not presentable enough, they were afraid that their gods would smite them. <laughs> their gods would like burn them down if their prayers weren't eloquent enough or if they didn't have the right technique. But God, on the other hand, he would prefer an offensive prayer that was genuine than an insincere prayer that was respectful. Now think about that, okay? God would prefer an offensive prayer that was genuine than an insincere prayer that was respectful. All right, and, and just look at the book of Psalms, for example, okay? There are so many Psalms, there are so many prayers in the book of Psalms that just seem like theologically incorrect <laughs> simply because the writer of these Psalms were like really speaking from the heart, right? They would uh, say like, God, you abandoned me. Or they would pray prayers like, uh, <laughs> Lord, kill my enemies, like murder their families. And like, hmm, that doesn't really seem like a proper healthy uh, prayer. But I mean, they're just like speaking from the heart, right? They're just being genuine. And God, uh, while he might not answer all of these prayers, uh, he, he, he likes these kinds of prayers that are genuine, that are from the heart. As I was um, kind of preparing this message, uh, well, like every, every day for the past several weeks, my, my kids come into the room and like ask me to play with them and ask me to do stuff for them. Right? <laughs> and uh, after a while, I realized, I think God is trying to teach me here. <laughs> so teach me something here. <laughs> Do I go to God whenever I need something, right? Um, because that's kind of like how my kids have been treating me. <laughs> so uh, on Friday, um, I, I think uh, I, uh, Nick has the picture that uh, I sent to him a couple days ago. Uh, on Friday, uh, my kids kept bothering me to set up uh, a tent for them, right? And I was like, no, no, I'm working. I'm, I'm, I'm busy. And then... Um, Speaking of which, my kid just came in here. <laughs> um, and they kept asking me to like make the tent for them and all that stuff. And, um, and, and they, were, uh, they were asking me to put this, together this tent for them, right? Like, oh my God, it's so hot. I don't, I don't wanna do that right now, right? And finally, uh, last, uh, yesterday um, in, in the morning, like because it was kind of cool, I set up the tent for them like you know, really quickly. And uh, they were all excited, right? They're like, yay, daddy put together the tent, yay, right? And they're all talking about all the things that they're gonna do, right? And they're like super excited. And they're like, oh, I can't wait to sleep here tonight. Yay, we're gonna have a, like a sleep party in the tent, yay. And I was like, oh, cool guys, that's awesome. Uh, can I join you? And they said, no, you snore too loud and you grind your teeth. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that's, that's kind of hurtful. That, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I mean, it is true though. I snore really loud and I, I do grind my teeth. Um, pray for my wife, Becky. Um, but I was thinking about that, right? How often do we go to God 
and ask for favors and ask for requests. And then if God grants us that desire, right? If God grants us that request, we say, oh, thank you. Okay, now <laughs> you can leave. What would our lives look like if we just simply went to God and not asked for anything regularly, often? Then maybe God would meet us in a way that uh, we've never met him before. It's not because God is um, withholding himself, okay? I think a lot of times it's because uh, we're not approaching him in the right way. Oftentimes we just treat God um, as if uh, he's this like vending machine, you know, and we're just asking him for all these requests. And then um, if we get what we want, then we just kind of forget <laughs> he exists. I know that's how I've treated God so often in the past. And so, um, but now that uh, every time I go to God without um, having anything like formal to present to him or to request, those are the times that like uh, I have the richest conversations with him. And so the habit uh, of prayer that um, the book encourages us to do is to pray three times a day, once in the morning, in the noontime, and in the evening. And so that's my challenge for all of us throughout this week is to pray three times a day. But I'm going to challenge us uh, even a step further by saying two of those times, don't request anything, right? Don't have any like formal requests prepared, all right? Now, if in your conversation with God, it just kind of naturally flows out, that's fine, okay? Uh, but at least two of the three times that you pray throughout the day, once in the morning, around noontime, and in the evening, at least two of those times, don't request anything, and see if your prayer life uh, feels different at all. Let me pray for us today. Lord, you are such a good, good father. Whenever we are needing to come to you, whether we have requests or not. Lord, you are ready and willing to meet us wherever we are. But Lord, you so long to commune with us and to be intimate with us in a way that a parent loves a child so, Lord, may we not turn to you just whenever we need something, Lord. May we turn to you simply because we want to be in your presence. Lord, your word tells us that uh, if we are grateful, go to you in prayer. If we are anxious, go to you in prayer. Lord, if we're scared to go to you in prayer, in all circumstances, Lord, 
May we turn to you, fellowship with you, communion with you, because you so desperately want that for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.